Red Rocks Church, it's Christmas week. Okay, you're having that kind of a December. Yikes. Anybody having a great Christmas season out there? Just a couple of you. Cody is. You got your different Christmas sweater for every day, different Christmas movie every night, Christmas parties, decorations are up. You're having a good time. Good. Everybody else, I guess, feeling a little tired, a little worn out. Christmas is like a finish line you're trying to get to at this point. Well, wherever you stand on the spectrum of Christmas experience this year, my hope is that today would be just a pause for you, uh, a chance to just kind of sit in the presence of Jesus and come let us adore him, to magnify him in your life and experience him today. We're gonna go on a little journey, a little different than a typical sermon. And I sparked some controversy at the 9 a.m. saying this, but I am hoping this journey goes better than my journey on the Polar Express I watched that movie for the first time this past week, and wow, I did not like that. <laughs> like for some reason, every character was Tom Hanks, and none of them were nice, and all the animation was so bad, like there was no life in the character's eyes, so they all just kind of looked like this, and you didn't really like anyone, and by the end of it, I was like, you've ruined my childhood. I don't even want to go on the Polar Express. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Tom Hanks, who watches every week. Can we welcome everybody who watches online right now, including Tom Hanks? from the Polar Express. It has nothing to do with what I'm talking about today, but tell the person next to you as you take a seat whether you love or hate the Polar Express movie. Everybody loves the book. What's the word? And it's okay if you love it. You don't, we say all the time, you don't have to believe everything we believe up here, okay? It just, as a fact, is a really bad movie, but whatever. Uh, December, Christmas time, as you all proved when I asked how you're doing and said it was Christmas week and nobody really reacted, um, it feels every year kind of like the same cycle of exhaustion and a lot of the same conversations like I feel like I keep having of like, hey, how's it going? I can't even breathe. Don't even talk to me till December or till January. December's just been so crazy. There's too many events. The kids have things going on. We're spending a stressful amount of money. We have to travel. We've got family coming into town, whatever it is. It's just like, I can't breathe here in December and just talk to me in January. And uh, we kind of just keep doing the same thing every single year, right? The same uh, traditions that we just kind of don't even think about. But we're trying to keep up with the Christmas season while all these things are going on. And we run into church and we're like, oh my gosh, it's Jesus' birthday month. And I haven't even really spent time with him. And Jesus is somewhere like, you know, I'm not a six-year-old who throws a fit about my birthday party. Um, however, if you feel exhausted and worn out by this time that's supposed to be around, centered around me, then maybe spending time with me would be really good for your soul. Um, but we have this really strange, every single year, this Christmas thing that's commercialized and consumerism and all that kind of stuff that gets thrown in and we feel bad about and people are going into debt trying to keep up with Christmas, falling off their roofs, trying to put Christmas lights up. So many things that we do, and all the while we're remembering, oh, this is about Jesus, this is his birthday, and the family's getting together, but we're really not talking about Jesus, we're just talking about masks and vaccines and arguing with each other about politics instead of what Jesus is doing to enrich our lives. And by the end of Christmas season, we're kind of like Michael Scott, just like, well, happy birthday, Jesus, sorry your party's so lame. <laughs> we missed it again. I was reading a book with my son that is about like the basic traditions of Christmas and why we do what we do and I didn't even know 
like candy canes are shaped like shepherd's staffs to remind us the shepherds went and saw Jesus. And some of the things that we kind of just do and don't even think about, there's a star on top of the tree because the wise men followed the star to find Jesus and we give gifts under that star. They gave gifts to Jesus. He's the ultimate gift. Those kinds of things that we do every single year, don't really think about. And, uh, and I, I was sitting there kind of just laughing about like, we get to the end of this Christmas season and it's like, why are we doing this? Like, that's how most of us feel. Like, you already feel that way, and it's not even Christmas yet. I can tell this morning. It's like, why do I do all these things and make this month so stressful when it's supposed to be this month that's all about filling us up and reminding us that Jesus has come, and it's supposed to be this place of peace, but then you go to church, and the guilt trip just gets thrown at you. The classic Christmas sermon is all about, like, you missed it again. You forgot about Jesus. Great job, church. You did it. Better luck next year. And so we feel guilty about that. We're not celebrating Jesus' birthday right. And wherever you find yourself today, however you're feeling, I don't have a guilt trip for you. Guilt trips never really motivate anything positive for us. What I have for you today is maybe the one moment, the one time this month that you'll have a chance to really just focus on Jesus. Because I know how busy it is. And I'm not gonna make you feel bad that you bought AirPods, but you didn't read your Bible last week. I just want you to have a chance to celebrate Jesus today. And uh, I, I see the, the side of, you know, religious people in church a lot of times. It's like, guys, we're missing the point. We're missing the point. We do that as humans. We know that. But at the other side of things, what I think is really cool about the Christmas season is that the whole world is celebrating Jesus without really even knowing it. Like, if you walked into a coffee shop and you heard Red Rocks worship playing, you'd be like, What? They're playing worship songs in here. That would be crazy, right? Yet for all of December, worship songs are being played in malls and coffee shops and our cars all over the place by people who don't even believe in Jesus. Like some people show up to church and they're like, oh, they're singing Christmas songs at church. That's so cool. Well, they're about Jesus. They're worship songs. And I really love that the world centers on Jesus in this time, even if we're not even paying attention or traditions that people don't even think about or realize that stem from the story of his arrival here on earth. It's kind of like to me, there's a scripture that says that if we as people don't cry out, if we don't sing, that the rocks will cry out at the goodness of God. That's how good he is. And it feels like December is the whole year bubbling up to the point that even people who want nothing to do with Jesus or don't even believe he exists are like, well, let's celebrate him anyway. He's just that good. The world is celebrating him, and I see that through music more than anywhere else. And so today, as Doug alluded to, we're gonna do a little behind the music, VH1 reference. Anybody remember that show? A couple of you. A lot of my references this morning have been struggling. Um, just, you know, be gentle. I, two weeks ago, wasn't here, and Sean was down here just roasting me. It's funny when guys who can't grow a man bun just make fun of you for it because they're jealous. Doug and Ryan aren't even in here right now. They're too scared from the 9 a.m. because a few days after Sean roasted me, there was a Christmas party with all of our amazing volunteers and I just got put on blast all over again and I was out of town. Not that I really could defend myself because pretty much everything I get made fun of, is, it's true, but um, I'm a little fragile. I lost my voice like a month ago and I'm still trying to get it back, so my voice will probably crack today, which is just a blessing and a Christmas gift for you along with the merch in the lobby. So anyway, we're gonna go behind the music because we know from deep Christmas theology the best way to spread Christmas cheer is 
singing loud for all to hear. What book of the Bible is that in? <laughs> Romans? Yeah. Well, Buddy the Elf, I would say the best way to spread Christmas cheer is understanding and believing what it is that we sing loud for all to hear. And so I wanna take you um, through a couple moments that I feel are really important for us to just feel in the Christmas season. And like I said, I hope today, if nowhere else, is kind of that breath of fresh air and experience with Jesus, that as we take in the story of his arrival, that we have some moments that I think are important for us to share in and to really feel the weight of and the importance of. And so I'll read some scripture and I'll tell you about this moment for each one of the three. And then I'm gonna tell you a little behind the music about the song that we will sing that pairs with this moment. And music is this beautiful thing that allows us to really feel sometimes um, words and emotions in a way that just talking can't. And so uh, this will be a little different and I think it's gonna be awesome. And um, so when I read scripture today, we don't normally do this, but I would ask you all if you would stand to your feet um, I think there's something really beautiful about just revering the fact that we have these amazing words, that we have the story of Jesus, that we get to share in it and know it and read it together. So we're gonna start with the, the first moment and I'm gonna stop complaining about the Polar Express and all of the traditions that we do, um, which again, like every year, you're like, well, we'll just watch the Polar Express again because we just do that every single year. Why are we doing this? This movie is terrible and you have to think that Tom Hanks saw the, that cut of it before, he's like, well, that was a swing and a miss. I don't know why I agreed to be a part of this whole thing. <laughs> oh, it's a Christmas movie. They'll watch it every single year. People don't even think about Christmas traditions. They just do them. So here we go into the first moment uh, with that I would call the desperation, the desperation for a Savior. And so if you would stand to your feet, I'm going to read from Isaiah. Um, this prophet Isaiah wrote this centuries before Jesus' arrival. And as I read today, we don't have slides on the screens. I would rather you close your eyes and just hear the words. Um, everything is so distracting this time of year, and I'm hoping that maybe um, the voice of Jesus would call through to you through his story. And so the prophet Isaiah, centuries before Jesus was born. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and we'll call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And that's it. You can take a seat, that was easy, one verse. Building your tolerance for moment two, longer passage. <laughs> so if you aren't familiar with the Bible, with the Old Testament specifically, um, it's this long, messy story that would take years to talk all the way through. But in short, it is the story of a family that grows to a nation that God chooses to reveal himself through to the rest of the world. And it is messy. There's points in this story where you're like, is this Game of Thrones or the Bible? Like, what is wrong with these people? And there are ups and downs and there's victories and there's many more low points Times where this people, they, they go away from God, they war against each other, they war against other nations, they're enslaved and taken into captivity. It's this crazy story. But all through the story is a promise from prophets like Isaiah that one day a king will come and he will be the king they've been waiting for, the Messiah. He will establish this kingdom of God forever. And the people await this anxiously, especially in a time and in a history where most of the time it seems impossible. 
And so when we come across the time when Jesus is about to be born, um, it's, it's gone from this dream, this prophecy that we all believe to a dim hope that a Messiah will actually ever show up. The prophets were the mouthpieces for God and they kept speaking, but then there was a prophet named Malachi and he was the last prophet they heard from for 400 years of a time that was seen as silence, darkness, absence from God. And so on a spiritual level, the people felt like he's finally given up on us, he's gone. And on a political social level, they were not being more established as a kingdom. In came Alexander the Great, and the Macedonians to conquer Jerusalem, followed by the Ptolemies of Egypt and the Syrian Seleucids, and then Rome, conquering the entire world. And so the Israelites were not feeling like they were getting freer. They felt like they were losing the small hope that they had, and in them was this desperation for their savior. And maybe we can't totally resonate with their political climate and what their nation was like, but we can, as human beings, I think, resonate with the desperation that we have in our souls for our savior. A lot of people who don't even maybe term it Jesus or know that it's him have this craving, are looking around at the world and everything in it and thinking, none of this is working. All of these temporary earthly things, none of it is filling me. I have an eternal appetite, but all of the temporary things just don't seem to fill it. Where is something that can fill this eternal appetite? awaiting a savior, God, come near, come here to me, save me. And we can all resonate in some way with that desperation. Maybe for you, Christmas is a time when you feel darkness and you feel absence and silence and it feels like God is distant or just forgotten you, like he's done with you. And you resonate well more with that than you do with the things we're supposed to feel around Christmas time. We have a desperation for a savior and it's why I love the first song that we're gonna sing today, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And this song, the lyrics, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, and Ransom Captive Israel, that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appear, it's this cry for a savior. And it's kind of haunting, it's kind of ominous, it's darker than most Christmas songs, though it just plays and we just have it on playlists, but there is some depth within this song, crying out in desperation, for a savior. Oh, come, oh, come, God with us, be with us. We need you, you're all we've got. We need you, we need our savior. And before we sing this song, and I'm hoping that today, as you, every year, will go through the crazy cycle of December, that maybe these songs, if nothing else, will remind you of your desperation and need for Jesus as we celebrate his birth. This song has such a rich history that meant, has meant so much to the church for so long. It dates all the way back to the ninth century. So the church has been singing this for like 1,200 years. And uh, it started as a Benedictine Gregorian chant. So the, the week leading up to Christmas, monks would sing a different verse each day. And they were trying to prepare their hearts for Christmas, to truly celebrate and take in the meaning of Jesus' birth. And each day had this different theme, this different word for God, and it was a journey for them. And I have the, the names of the different things that they uh, would sing each individual day. And all of these are uh, names for God, Old Testament references, all the way up to Emmanuel. <laughs> and so they would go on this journey of crying out to God and remembering all these prophecies and these ups and downs and kind of putting themselves in the shoes of a first century Israelite thinking, oh God, come near. Oh God, we need you. 
Come here, Emmanuel, God with us. This powerful week journey that they would take. And in 1851, a man named John Mason Neal um, came upon this ancient song, this ancient hymn, and this tradition that the monks had had of preparing their hearts for Christmas. And rather than a week-long song, he turned it into a song to be sung, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And he was translating from Latin. Those are Latin words. And what he realized was something really powerful about this song, that it is a call to the past, a reminder of this whole story of people crying out for a savior and ending on Christmas Eve, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, to celebrate Christmas that Jesus has come. But what he also knew that the monks felt and we feel is that though we know the story, we're on the other side of the story, we know that Jesus was born, we know that he died on the cross, we know that he rose from the grave, we too feel desperation for him. Sometimes it feels quiet, sometimes it feels like we're alone, sometimes it's very dark. And we have this desperation in us, even knowing the story for Jesus. And the monks felt that, and this man felt that, and tipped his cap to the monks by realizing an Easter egg within this. And I know I'm nerding out about this history, but I hope it will bring this song to life more for you. What he saw was while they journeyed from the past into that present reality of Jesus coming at Christmas, if you um, translate this, so the first letter, of it's, acrost, it's an acrostic, sarkor, not parkour, sarkor. That those first letters, when flipped, when you start with Emmanuel and you work backwards, in Latin, translated, ero cras means I shall be with you tomorrow. And so they went on a journey in the past forward to realize that Jesus had come, but they, on the other side of the story, with their secret acrostic, these monks were calling out to God, return, Jesus, come back, we need you. Knowing the future that awaits us, knowing that this is not the end, knowing that there is eternity where Jesus will make all things new, these monks were tipping their cap to each other, winking at each other, going, he's coming back. This isn't it for us. He shall be with us tomorrow. And so wherever you find yourself at this Christmas season, maybe you feel like, I'm not desperate for Jesus. I don't even know that I feel I need him. My life's pretty good. I've got everything I could want. Maybe this song, maybe closing your eyes and hearing the words or singing them will kind of let all the things that are temporary, all the things we put our hope in, all the things we cry out for that, that don't actually work, maybe they'll just fall. And we'll just feel the weight of how much we need Jesus that without him, we've got nothing, that he is the filling for our eternal appetite, that he has the eternal life that our souls crave. God wrote eternity on the hearts of every human being. We're desperate for Jesus. Maybe you're in that dark place right now. This holiday season is just a reminder to you of pain, makes you feel like God's even farther from you. You feel guilty about not doing it right or whatever, and right now, I just hope that you would just feel that yearning for Jesus that need for him, that call to him, God, come be with us. And that you'd be met with what this song also can't help but say, but rejoice, Emmanuel. We can go back into the shoes of a first century Israelite and feel that weight a little bit. God, come near, we need you. We can look ahead to the future and know what awaits us, that Jesus shall return. I shall be with you tomorrow. But what I love about the reality of Emmanuel, God with us, it means that Jesus is also here right now in the present with you that it's not about the past, that it's not all about the future, but it's also about right now. God with us, Emmanuel. So whatever situation you have in your life, whatever pain, whatever place that you just need Jesus in the depths of your soul, the things that nobody else knows, the way that you feel alone, this song is a cry out to him, come here and he will. He's given us his spirit. He is present with us. 
because of his birth, because of his death, because of his resurrection, he shall return, but he is also present, Emmanuel, God with us. as we feel a little bit of this, this moment, this feeling, this truth of our desperation for Jesus, the next moment that I wanna take us to is the reality of Jesus. And so if you'd stand to your feet, I'm gonna read from Luke chapter two. This is the Christmas story. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, 
because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told them. And at the end of the eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. You can take a seat. This story that we probably know better than any in the Bible because it is the Christmas story um, is, is the reality of the fact that Jesus has come, that the desperation, the cry was answered, that God was not silent, that he had not abandoned his people, but instead he had always had this plan in the works, that he had sent his son. This reality of Jesus means that this is all real and true. This is a fact historically that he came that he was on this earth, that he was killed. And it's what you believe about whether he rose from the grave or not that determines your faith and eternity. This is reality. Jesus was here in this moment. Creation watches its creator being created. And the most strange, crazy story that none of us would draw up, that's how God works. The most humble beginning as galaxies bow to the king, yet he's this little infant in a barn. And we know this story, the Virgin Mary and the Phil and Dad Joseph and the livestock and the angels and the shepherds and all of that. And it can grow stale or just be something that we kind of know as a fact, but this is a reality that has changed everything for the entire world. It split time in half, the birth of this child, the reality of Jesus. And this holy night that we celebrate is beautifully brought to us. We can experience this reality in the song, Oh Holy Night an amazing Christmas song that takes us to just think about and ponder and wonder at what God has done in sending Jesus here onto our turf, putting skin and bone on. What kind of a God does that? The story behind this song gives beauty and more um, picture of the reality of Jesus. And so in 1843, the story of the song starts where a priest in France asked a poet that he knew to pen a poem about Jesus and about this story for his church. And he went to a poet, Placid Capot, who didn't uh, have faith in Jesus, was not a religious man at all. But he talked with him and this guy ended up writing this beautiful poem that was originally called Midnight Christians. And the church loved it to the point that they said, you need to turn this into a song. 
And so this poet took the song to a Jewish composer, Adolf Adam, and he wrote music. And it became this wonderful anthem for the church in France. It was spreading around and people loved it. But some religious people found out that the song had been created by two men who actually didn't themselves believe in Jesus, yet had written this magnificent song about him. And so the religious people tried to stop it from spreading. And back in the 1800s, religious people were really uptight. <laughs> Glad a few of you got that. What I love about just the origin of this song is this is how God works. He always does things in the way that we would never expect. He does things in the way that rubs religious people the wrong way. That's who God is. And somehow these two men who didn't even know where they stood in light of this story created this amazing song that to the people who believed in Jesus, it meant so much. And it spread through France and then went across the pond to America where in the 1850s, a man named John Sullivan Dwight who was a minister, got hold of it and translated it into English. And it became known as O Holy Night, the English version. And he was so moved by the song and the lyrics, he published them and sent them out, specifically the third verse. Truly he taught us to love one another. His law is love and his gospel is peace. Chains shall he break for the slave is our brother and in his name, all oppression shall cease. Sullivan was an abolitionist in a country that was about to walk into a civil war. And he heard these songs and the reality of what Jesus means. And this song, this Christmas poem from a French atheist became a war cry for the North as they went to fight for the freedom of their brothers and sisters. That's what the reality of Jesus does. It moves us to break chains, to end oppression, to love one another and see human beings the way that Jesus does. And the legend continues, there's another story that in 1870, France was involved in the Franco-Prussian War and it was Christmas Eve and the soldiers were in trenches fighting and there was a stop in the battle and during it, a French soldier stood up out of the trench to the shock of everyone risking his life and just started singing this song and soldiers joined in and the German enemies across the lines were so moved by it that they sung back, they shot back a song of their own that came from Martin Luther about Jesus and it led to a ceasefire of 24 hours so that all of the soldiers could observe Christmas and celebrate the birth of our King. And that's what the reality of Jesus does. It stops us dead in our tracks in the middle of our man-made wars and brings peace, moments of peace. The last cool story I have for you about this song. 1906, a man named Reginald Fessenden, who was a 33-year-old professor and was a chief chemist for Thomas Edison, a brilliant guy, did something that had never been done before. He spoke into a microphone with a new type of generator, and for the very first time in history, a human voice was transmitted over the airwaves. So picture like little devices, kind of Morse code way of communicating from faraway places, and these people in offices or on ships were probably terrified because all of a sudden a voice is coming out of this thing talking to them. They probably thought like, somebody's gonna kill us or Jesus is back, what's, God, is that you? But they were quickly met with peace because Fessenden was reading the very passage I just read to you from Luke chapter two, it was Christmas Eve. And he was sending out to the world the story of the arrival, the reality that Jesus came for us. And after he finished reading, he put down his Bible and he picked up his violin and he played the very first song ever to go out on the airways, Oh Holy Night. In the Spotify world, it's kind of hard for us to imagine that. But for the first time, people in faraway places were hearing a song 
And it was the song that told of the reality of Jesus. That's what the reality of Jesus does, makes its way to the corners of the earth through all kinds of creative and crazy ways, whether it's a French atheist or it's a genius with a microphone and a generator, Jesus will make his name known and every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. And it all started on this holy night. And so, here at Red Rocks Church, we happen to have an amazing violinist, Marion. And for this moment, this reality of Jesus, she's gonna play and, and close your eyes and think about being one of those people who's hearing this, this melody, this beautiful song, who's being reminded or maybe coming to know for the first time this story that Jesus actually came here, that the desperation has been met with the reality of Jesus, that he has called us to love one another, to break chains. It's what the reality of Jesus does, makes its way through us to the corners of the earth because of this one holy night.
No idea how you did that. It was amazing, thank you. So we'll close out today as our desperation for Jesus has been met with the reality that he has come um, with the only thing that I think is fitting, which is celebration. And so I wanna ask you to stand to your feet one last time as we're reminded of the hope, what I would call this final moment, the hope that we have. Psalm 98, starting in verse four, make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of the melody, with trumpets and the sound of the horn. Make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. You can take a seat. This Psalm written far before Jesus was born is calling forward to a God whose judgment would be on himself, who would lay his life down for his kids. And we celebrate that this time of year, the full picture of Jesus, celebration, what we should be feeling, that sin has been dealt with, death has been dealt with, and Jesus has come for us. And the song that goes perfectly with this, this hope, this beautiful celebration, of course, is Joy to the World, a song that we love, that we blast in our cars, that, of course, has a little behind the music to it as well. In the early 1700s, there was a man named Isaac Watts, and he was a bit of a church rebel. He kind of, he would have fit in here perfectly. He's a red rocker way back in the 1700s. And he was really fed up with religious practices. He was asking the question that I was asking at the beginning of this, that we think about Christmas, like, why are we even doing all of this? What does all of this mean? He was quoted basically saying in walking into his church that he feared that an observer who just came to see what people were doing would question whether it meant anything inwardly to the people who were singing songs and at church together. He saw no life and no joy in the religious practices of going through the motions and doing the same things over and over again. And so frustrated to the point that his dad told him, okay, well go do something about it then. And so he started composing songs. He would take the Psalms and he would paraphrase them into songs that actually had a life and pointed to Jesus and New Testament language to bring these people in their singing to see the beauty of the words that were given. And so he composed out of that passage in Psalm 98, what I just read to you, um, a song that later became Joy to the World. He wrote this song and about a century later, a man named Lowell Mason took it and put it with an arrangement by Handel, a famous composer, and turned it into this song, Joy to the World, and he shared it around Christmas time, so it became associated as a Christmas celebration, but Isaac Watts never wrote it as a Christmas song. He wrote it as a call to the church to wake up, to be people of joy in this world that so desperately needs it, to have life within us, that we wouldn't just practice the same old things and go through the same motions, but always be remembering the joy that we have. This song wasn't actually written about the birth of Jesus, the first coming, it was written about the second coming when he shall return, just like some monks were calling to in the ninth century, I shall be with you tomorrow that there is uh, an eternity that awaits us where Jesus will wipe away every tear and there will be no more mourning and no more pain and no more death, but instead it will be a joyful celebration of living in his presence, of being fully with him outside of all of the darkness that we've known and all of the desperation that we felt and feel that we will be with him for eternity. And Isaac Watts was saying, hey, 
in a world that has no idea what the heck is going on, in a world full of people who think this is just it, we should be taking joy to the world. Because as we celebrate at Christmas, Jesus has come and he has laid his life down and he has dealt with all of that and he bought eternity for you. He came to ransom captive Israel and all of his kids. He has come and he shall be with us tomorrow. He shall return. So if you would stand to your feet, we're gonna close this out by singing joy to the world. And my hope is that you will be propelled into a Christmas week that might be crazy, that might not give you much time to really sit in moments like this, that it would be the joy of Jesus that walks out of here with you, remembering that he shall be with us tomorrow and we live joyfully and we as his people are called to bring joy to the world.